I'm Jason Goldsmith, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Varde. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. It's me, Mike Varde, your host, joining you once again for another, well, productive conversation. This time around, I am joined by Jason Goldsmith, the co-author of Take Charge of You, How Self-Coaching Can Transform Your Life and Career. And we get into this idea of self-coaching during our discussion today. Now, for those of you who don't know who Jason is, which might be you listening right now, Uh, Jason is a globally recognized performance coach. He emphasizes combining the mental and physical aspects of optimal performance. And he's the founder of Goldsmith Performance, where he's coached multiple major champions and top 50 golfers. Now, I've written a book called The Front Nine, How to Start the Year You Want Anytime You Want, where I use golf as a metaphor. Jason knows a whole lot more about golf than I do, and his accomplishments in golf include assisting Jason Day and Justin Rose in achieving the number one world ranking and helping Rose win both the gold medal at the 2016 Olympics and the 2018 FedEx Cup Championship. So Jason knows what he's talking about, and we're going to get into self-coaching, which can be beneficial for anyone, not just athletes or golfers or athletic golfers. Anyway, let's get to this conversation, a productive one at that, with Jason Goldsmith. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today and have a productive conversation with me. Absolutely. I'm I'm glad that we were able to put this together. Thanks, Mike. So we just before we hit record, we started talking about some of the things that are going on in the world as of this recording. And let's I mean, I never used to really talk about COVID-19 and the pandemic because I figured, well, it's 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 a brief moment in time when we first started this <laughs> journey. It's almost two years now. Uh, it's not a brief moment. It's a moment in history. Like it's clearly going to be something that people will be talking about. Um, and and I want to talk about a little bit about self-coaching in relation to that later. So for those listening right now, they're like, oh, I want to hear how that can help. We'll definitely get into that. But first off, um, anyone who's listened to the show before knows that I'm a big fan of journaling. You know, I think it's an undervalued and underappreciated uh, tool that you can use to be more productive. There Are there elements of journaling that can be found inside of self-coaching and vice versa? Because, I mean, the book Take Charge of You how to, how self-coaching can transform your life and career. I think that the journaling can play a role in that, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think what journaling does is it gives the person who is putting their thoughts down. I mean, we, I think we all have seen the research that when you, you know, you create some goals and you work towards those goals and, and you literally put pen to paper, the likelihood that you achieve those goals goes up exponentially. So, so 100%, I think, I think journaling and, and just having ideas so you can reflect back and, and see where you, where you were and where you are now, you know, helps with the roadmap. We, we, we talk about creating this blueprint. And, and so I think when, when somebody's able to journal and, and, and put pen to paper, it gives them a, you know, a history of, of the starting point, And then they can see that they're starting to, uh, to gain momentum. So I, I really love the idea of journaling. So if, if people are already journaling, they're like, okay, Mike, so I'm journaling already. So I'm done. No, 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 no. You talked about a blueprint here. And as we go through the book, there's essentially five, you know, five elements that you discuss in the book. The book's broken up into five and, it, and you co-wrote this with with David Novak, right? So um, first off, what led to that collaboration? Like what was the, it's really challenging to write a book on your own. And then 
to write one with someone else, it can be both people, you know, it can be a blessing to some degree. Hey, we're both, you know, we're sharing ideas and so on and so forth, but it can also be a bit of a challenge because, you know, you have to be on the same page collaborating, especially during a time where we can't always get together, uh, can be also a challenge. So how did that collaboration form and, and what, what did that journey look like? So I, w- I would say it's probably been about six years now, David and I started working together and initially it was a coach and a student or coach and client relationship. So I was contacted by a couple of friends of, of David's. David is, uh, you know, obviously a very well-known CEO in the world, but he has, uh, you know, a passion for leadership as well as a, a passion for, for golf and and family. So, you know, those would be the things I would say David is most passionate about, you know, recognition, leadership, family, and golf. And, um, and so I was contacted by a couple of friends, said, could you come out and maybe do a session with David? And so the way I coach is, is I, I would say very different than the way most coaches coach. And, and right away we hit it off and that was the beginning of our relationship. And over, over the years, we just have become best of friends. And, and during that friendship, what we realized was David was coaching me in the business sense of, of my own coaching career, but he was coaching me on the business side and I was, I was coaching him on the sports performance side. And he just said one day, you know, you know, this would be a great book. You know, we could, we could come at it from a couple of different angles. You know, I, you know, I coach and mentor, business people all the time and, and, and you're a performance coach and, you know, coach people, all different athletes, you know, you know, why don't we sit down and see if we can come up with a book that, that potentially could help a lot of people. And, and that's how the whole thing got started. So self-coaching versus getting coached from someone else. I think that, that, I mean, you, you alluded to this when you were talking about the friendship that you and David have forged. I mean, I, I do productivity coaching. I coach one-on-one, I coach in groups. And you're right. Often you learn as the coach yourself along the way. In fact, if you're not learning along the way, then I think that's a problem. Um, self-coaching, where does that fit in? Like if, if you're thinking about people, because most people think about coaching like I need a, a life coach or a performance coach or a business coach or a productivity coach. But self-coaching, that seems like for some people like, oh, I'm not qualified to do that. Like I can't do that. Uh, let's Let's dig into that a little bit, especially when we start off with the framework and the journaling I think is – Probably again for some people, that's the jump start. Sure, I, you know, to me, what it requires is for you to really get to know the person that you're coaching. In this, in this sense, it's it's you, and, and you know, and I think that that's the, the the start where most people don't really know what it is they want to do, and when they when they sit down and and figure out. You know, what are some of the things that truly bring them joy in this world? Then it's easy for them to start to understand, okay, if, if I have, you know, if I'm, I'm doing this one thing and, and I'm not getting much joy out of it, I'm probably not going to be very passionate about doing it. But here's this other thing that, you know, you, you couldn't stop me from doing. You know, that's what we're wanting people to understand, that, that once you identify those, those things, then it's very easy for you to to motivate yourself and work towards those goals, you know, given that you, you know, have a set of tools that allow you to, you know, identify the potential roadblocks along the way and, and how to reframe some of those things and, and get past them and get through them. And, uh, you know, and that's really what the book's about is, is how do you, 
you know, take this, this idea that you have, this passion that you have and, and work towards it so that eventually you're able to achieve that goal. So there's a quote you throw in, in the first chapter, ask yourself some key questions. And it's, it's, I mean, it's something that comes to mind a lot, even in the work I do. I say, you know, if you ask better questions, then you're going to get better answers. That's not the quote. The quote is, it's not the answer that enlightens, but the questions. You, uh, Eugene uh, Ionesco, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, this is why I get the guests to announce their own names when they start the podcast. <laughs> so that way I don't mess that up. Yours was easy, Jason. Um, what The questions are, I love it because, first off, they take thought. You need to be mindful and thoughtful about them. And often we ask the wrong questions, I think, right? Like, you know, for me, for example, people will say, well, you know, I think a terrible question is what do I, what do I need to do today? There's no definition around that. There's no under, like, so if you can give your, your brain a break with better questions, I think that helps. So can we talk about the idea of, of the questions and, and we don't have to go in too deeply, but, but why you put this at the top of the book? Like, why was this the, the, the kind of the, ki- the, the, the kickoff point? So, you know, for me being a performance coach, I, I understand that it's about, it's about mindset and, uh, you know, at elite level with sports, visualization is one of the most powerful tools that all of the athletes that I work with, you know, we work on, you know, most, most days, that's what we're doing is we're figuring out a way to put an image to a sensation that'll create an action. But, but when you ask yourself a question, you can't help but answering it. And, and like you said, if you you start to ask better questions then then you tend to, to, to get to better answers. And, you know, one of, one of the key elements is, is understanding that when you're in a mindset of not seeing solutions or you're in a, a, a problem, you know, high beta anxietal state mind, mindset, all you see is problems. So when you're able to get beyond that that mindset of only seeing problems and start to ask questions that are producing solutions and you start to give yourself some answers that are going to enlighten you and and hopefully give you a a direction so that you can you know like you said get out of that set point and start moving forward what's one question that you think people don't give enough thought to if you can think uh, of if you could, if yeah. you could think of one like what's the one that that people are that that kind of floors them or gives them pause. Yeah. I, I would say if a person can't answer this question that I'm going to ask in 10 seconds, then they probably haven't spent enough time, um, you know, really considering uh, who, who they are. And the question is, is, is who am I? And, and if, and if you, you struggle with who am I, then, then, you need to spend some more time getting to know yourself so that you can figure out what your virtues and values are and you can start to make decisions that are in alignment with those. And, and when you can do that, then there's so much less struggle in your life. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. 
With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash ProductiveConvo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. With the people you've worked with, you mentioned elite. And I actually want to touch on that real quick because I love the word elite. I think that it's become a word that's been kind of corrupted to a degree. I want to get your thoughts on it because as a performance coach, and I know we're deviating a little bit, but this is, this is, uh, this is I think, why thoughtfulness matters, mindfulness matters, mindset matters. Um, what does elite mean to you in terms of perform? Like what's it? Well, not even in terms of like the term elite, because it has been kind of, you know, attached to things like political and powerful and all that stuff. Um, I'd love to hear from someone who not only mentioned the word, but deals with people who perform at an elite level. What does it mean to you? So, you know, for me, I'm dealing with people that are either the best in the world at what they do or, or you know, going to be or potentially they are, um, you know, what it was competing to be the best in the world. And, you know, that means, you know, gold medal, you know, Olympians, you know, the best golfers in the world, you know, the best pitchers in the world, best quarterbacks in the world. You know, to me, if if you're in the conversation of the top five, maybe not of all time, but in the you know top five currently playing the game or top ten playing the game, uh, or aspiring to be, competing to be one of those people, then in my mind, that's you know what I consider elite level. Who's someone that you've worked with? And I mean, you don't have to get. It, it, give me an example of someone, and you don't have to name names if you don't want to. 
But when they started to ask those better questions, when they started to dig into, especially to that part right away, or and, and working with you and specifically, um, we're able to start to operate at that level or reach the potential of that level. And then further to that, and this is where it comes into self-coaching, have maintained it even when maybe they're not in, in as much... Uh, uh, in touch with you as much any longer, or they need, they, they, they want to sustain it. Who, who, or can you give an example of, of a, of a, of a, of a, of an athlete or a performer that you feel has, has hit that? Sure. So I, I work with Jason day first. And when I started with Jason day, he was 39th or 37th in the world. And, uh, and then he was able to get to world number one, and have uh, uh, amazing career, and we're, and we're still in still in touch today. And then, and then Justin Rose is another athlete that I still currently work with. And uh, and when I started with him, um, he hadn't done a lot of work in visualization. So you know, it, two really different athletes. Uh, Jason Day had done a lot of visualization work as a as a young athlete, and then got away from it. And and Justin Rose had never really been introduced or didn't realize that it was as powerful as it as it was and, and both were able to get to to be the best in the world world number one justin rose won gold medal at the olympic games you know so uh, i i would say that those are two athletes that that asking better questions led to them being able to create an image in their mind of what they wanted to do and then once they had that image in their mind of what they wanted to do, then it was easier for them to see that as a reality. You start talking about opening yourself up to growth as you make your way through so the mindset and all that stuff. And, and one of the things that I've, I've noticed in myself, I'll use myself as an example, and I think that this transcends, is the care factor of what other people think of me has started to drop. I'm exploring things that I don't know. I mean, I'm meditating now more than ever before. Um, I remember literally I'm, I'm back at the gym working out, which I've never really done with Ernest before, but I can give you a specific example of, uh, the, me breaking through a bias. And I think that that's what, that's part of the problem is people don't open themselves up because there's these biases that are constantly, they're, they're just there. I, I stood in front of the rec center where I go work out with, I went to see my personal trainer and I did a standing meditation. So I'm standing in front of this building People and it, it's eyes open meditation. This one, people are walking by, and I detected the looks on their faces. Number one, what's with this guy? Number two, is he okay? <laughs> like different things like that. As he, and it was for a brief moment. It was I got to stop doing this because I look like an idiot. I look like an idiot. And then I just because I was mad, I'm like, no, that like with meditation, let that thought go. Let that thought go. Um, how how important is it for people to open themselves up to experiences and be okay with maybe not necessarily looking foolish, but going breaking from the norms of what the, what of the crowd or social mores or whatever, and doing things that will get them to that level so that they can perform at a higher level. Like what are some of the things that they can do to kind of make sure that they can have an experience? And again, I'm being very reductive like I did where I'm like, I don't frankly give a crap what people are doing right now. My goal is to meditate, to get myself in the best possible frame of mind so I can go hit the gym and have a great workout with my trainer. Yeah. So, you know, I think you, you know, you hit the nail on the head there when you said, I, I was having these thoughts that other people were thinking a particular way about what I was doing. And 
the reality is is that you are creating those thoughts. No one gives a about what I'm doing. Well, that's right. I know, but, but you know, that's the truth is, yep. is that it was all happening inside of you. Yeah. So, you know, but that's the point of meditation, you know, but it also, you know, goes towards the comment that you also made about, you know, yeah, you, you have to be willing to be vulnerable and you have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone. And, you know, in, in order to grow at anything. And so, you know, if you're, if you're comfortable, there's an old golf coach. I, when I first start, got into the business, he said, you're either green and growing or you're ripe and rotten. Right. And so, you know, when you're green and growing, you know, there, there is some struggle and some, you know, uncomfortable feelings with, with growing pains, but, but you're growing, right. You're, you're getting new skills. You're doing things that are uncomfortable, but in that uncomfortable, you need to find comfort because you know that on the other side of uncomfortable is the next uncomfortable and the next uncomfortable, but it's all these little road signs that you're actually making progress. So, you know, doing the standing meditation in front of your gym and getting to the point where you have that first thought and then you say to yourself, oh, I'm, I'm having a thought about what other people think. You know, that's okay. So, so notice it, but it doesn't make it real. You know, just because you're thinking it doesn't make it real. And you know, so to me, I think, you know, getting in that, that neutral mindset and, and realizing that just because you, you know, have this idea about who you are and, and what your limitations are, a lot of times, you know, it's understanding that that, that too is just a thought. And, and the better you can get at understanding that, you know, thoughts aren't reality. Thoughts are just thinking and you could start to move past them. Then you can really start to accelerate your progress. When we get to the plan phase, I want to talk about, you talked about comfort and being vulnerable and things like that. And the discomfort. Mm. I, I wonder if when you talk about uncovering transformational insights, that to me seems like it's the hardest part. Can we touch on that a bit? Because I think that, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's the part where you're going to be pushed outside of your comfort zone, where you're going to do things that you either aren't very good at, your brain will tell you you have no business doing it all, et cetera, et cetera. Can we, can we spend some time, not in there, but also how maybe the, the again, the bias box that kind of shows up, can, can we can break through that so that we can not just uncover it, but then move on to the next step, uh, which, which we'll get to in a second. Sure. You're right. You're right. And, you know, when you uncover trans, you know, transformational insights, what, what you're saying is, is you're identifying the things that you need to do. And, and, you know, most often when, when you're really still and you're, and you're contemplating, you know, where you want to go, you you know, what your subconscious does is it starts to, to, to chirp up with these ideas. Oh yeah, I know you want to do that, but you know, so-and-so said you weren't good at that when you were a kid or, or whatever it is. Right. And so it's, it's, it's really saying that, that that's the next roadblock that you need to overcome, you know? So, so your mind, you know, is, is, you know, creating these, these thoughts and these, these ideas, but, but it's also a way of identifying the next hurdle that you have to get over. And, and so it's really pointing you in the direction of, you know, if, if I can just start to tackle those, uh, you know, those, those, those fears or doubts head on, I'll realize that that's all they are. 
Is it, is it, you know, something that, you know, I, I heard when I was a kid and I, you know, believed it my, you know, my whole life I'm, I'm dyslexic. And so I really struggled in school, you know, and for the longest time, you know, I thought that there was, you know, something, something wrong with me. And I carried that around as a kid for, for a really long time. And, and, and one day I was, I was actually out on a golf course and I was, I was, uh, I was grouped with a guy and he said, Oh, my daughter's dyslexic. And we just started talking about it. And, and he just said, just kind of out of the blue, you know, they're thinking that dyslexia is really just this, this different way of thinking about things. And it really might just be a, you know, a great thing because, you know, she looks at things differently than everybody else. And in that moment, it's like, you know, 30 years of, of worrying about this thing went from, you know, feeling like, something was wrong with me to wait this thing I always thought was a problem might be my superpower and you know so that's uncovering transformational insights in my opinion right so I, I had this thing and for the longest time you know I believed it to be real and this thing that was this restraint that I struggled against my whole life in a moment was turned into my my superpower you know as you're bringing that up, and I mean, it's, it, again, it's a bit of a, it, it's comparative, but it's different is, um, I have often, you often hear, and I want to get to this, especially when it comes to the taking insightful action. Um, I'm a night owl. So what do they say? Uh, what, what's widely professed when it comes to being productive and being a high performer? You got to get up early. You got to be an early bird. You got to do that. Like that's generally now. I've, I've beaten back on that because I've also, you know, done enough research and we'll refer to some show notes that we've had with the sleep doctor, Dr. Michael Bruce, who's been on the program before and how circadian science is, is still fairly new and not widely explored. But <clears throat> that insight of, I don't need to be the guy that gets up at 3am to get my, my best time is the nighttime. I can get that stuff. Then it's just about being smart about it. When it comes to the fourth part, which is like the journey and taking insightful action, how important is it to know what, like when people, people love to model, right? They love to see mental models and they go, oh, well, this is how, this is how, like I listened to LeBron James on the Calm app, right? And he talks about like how he naps, right? Like sleep for him is so massively important. And so people are like, well, I want to be like LeBron. So I'm going to have naps before this and before this and before this. And then they're like, why isn't this working? Like, I don't understand. I'm not able to, I mean, I'm not able to play basketball like LeBron, but even more, like I'm not able to do these things that I'm meant to do um, or, or that I should be able to do. What role does modeling play in terms of taking insightful action? And then where, what do we have to be cautious about when, when taking models and, and using like other roadmaps or other methods that people have put into place before us? I, th I think the biggest thing is making sure that the roadmap that you create is specific to you, you know, so it's your own personal GPS. It's not, it's not somebody else's. And, you know, if I was to use your example, you know, you're more productive at night. So, you know, ev everybody could probably say, oh, no, that's you, you need to get up in the morning. It's because of this, that and the other. And, and, and if you know that you're more productive at night, then, you know, what's wrong with you doing your most creative work, you know, at, at night? Uh, you know, that goes back to, you know, knowing who you are. And, and that's part of being a self-coach, right, is, is realizing 
that, you know, I might not be the best in the morning. You know, I'm not, I'm not the most creative. My, my wife would be the opposite. You know, my wife would be the most creative in the morning and at night she's not creative at all. You know, in fact, she'll, she'll say to me, you know, let's do this tomorrow morning because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have the, you know, the, the brain capacity to, to be creative with these kind of ideas in the evening. And so I think that goes back to just, you know, making sure that the roadmap that you create is for the person that you're coaching. And, you know, it goes back to knowing who you are and, and you know, what your strengths and weaknesses are. As we get close to wrapping up here, I want to talk about the fifth, which is committing to constant improvement. And the, as a, someone who hosts a productivity-based podcast, we live in a world where people are, you know, there, there is this, quote, pressure or this story that you need to be constantly busy. And if you're constantly busy, then you will improve. And that, as soon as I read that, I'm like, I know, Jason, this is not what they mean. I know it isn't. But I know that some people, again, will go, well, constant improvement, that seems tiring. That seems like, will I get a, that seems like a recipe for burnout. Again, I encourage you, listening right now, pick up the book and you'll see the, you know, it's not, it's not black and white like that. So can, can you touch on, like, when you talk about constant improvement, um, how important is cadence in that for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, if you're, we're, we're talking about improvement. I would, you know, maybe say compound interest might be a better way to, to look at it. So, you know, not, not everybody, you know, improves on a, on a straight line. In, in fact, we know that that rarely ever happens. You know, there's, there's plenty of plateaus and setbacks and, you know, when, when, you know, setback is just another opportunity to learn and get smarter. So, you know, I, you know, I, when you, when you think about constant improvement, to me, what what we mean is just moving in the in the right direction and staying the path, and and realizing that there are going to be times where you don't feel like you're getting better. There, you know, there are, you're going to need to reframe things. You're going to need to, you know, deal with the you know the word failure and and realize that it's really just an opportunity, you know, in in disguise, right? To to point you in the in the in the right direction. You work with athletes. I often it's like, you know, who are the uh the most successful hitters in baseball hit the ball what, thirty five percent of the time? Right. <laughs> you know, so I mean right. they're dealing with it constantly. And I mean, I'm not a golfer. I did write a book using golf as a metaphor called The Front Nine, which I thought was rather fascinating because people know my brother's the golfer in the family. Um, but sports can act like such a great metaphor for this stuff too, right? Like, and I'm not just talking about golf, like any sport. Um, when when you take into account performance, like what can people learn from sport when it comes to coaching and performance that that maybe they're missing out on because they're, quote, not sports people? I would say the biggest thing is realizing that most of the time in sports outcome is out of your control. In, in fact, I'm, I'm going to say in sports, but in life outcome is mostly out of your control. What, what's in your control is attitude always, you know, so all the athletes that I work with, we all work towards mastery as our goal. And the idea is we want to just try to improve microscopically every single day because we, believe in this concept of compounding interest and, and, and getting better. And if you're, if you're getting better 
then it's easy to see how you know winning that next tournament or winning that next game is is just you know a a a, a road sign on the way towards mastery so you know for me that's that's what i work with with i would say every athlete is 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 how do we develop this mindset of always having an attitude that is positive and moving in the direction that we want and and knowing that we're going to have plenty of outcomes along the way that don't go in our favor but but when we when that happens what are the lessons that we can learn so that we can get better for the next time one of the best books i've read that i took away stuff for 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 my life that had nothing to do with life but actually probably did because the guy was a genius was bill walsh's book the score takes care of itself Mm. like the idea of culture like building a strong culture do all the fundamentals the score will generate yeah you'll lose some but the score will ultimately take care of itself i'm a Bengals fan so i have a hard time with the 49ers ethos but he did come from the Bengals. bill walsh just started um another athlete that i'm 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 enamored with. I'm a sport. I, I am a sports fan. Um, most of my sports teams that I follow are not related to where I live at all. I am a Devils fan when it comes to hockey because I believe that I love the way that that team was built back in the '80s. I'm a fan of the San Antonio Spurs because of David Robinson and that that franchise's commitment to integrity and character. And he, I mean, one of the best quotes I've ever heard. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, because I think a lot of people, when they're focused on improvement and performance, they focus on the sizzle and not the steak. And Ro- David Robinson said, and I love this, he said, in order to be great, you have to be great at the fundamentals. And I thought yeah. that was like, um, can you touch on that a little bit? Because I think a lot of people try to go, they, they overreach or they try to impress with like, I can do a 360 dunk, but then they can't pass the ball for, or, or they can, dr- they can drive. I mean, let's use happy Gilmore. The movie as an example, like I could drive. I mean, it was a silly movie, but it was hilarious. He could drive, but he had no short game. Right? right. So like, can we talk a little bit about the sizzle steak factor or like the facets of the game that you, I mean, I think that's part of it too, right? Absolutely. One, one of my favorite quotes is by Deepak Chopra and and this particular quote the famous athlete Deepak Chopra just to be clear <laughs> yes yes is the outcome takes care of itself when you enjoy the process with abandonment and yeah i mean and and it just it's so fitting because it's it's saying exactly what david robinson said right it it's it's you have to enjoy all of the little things. And when you enjoy all of the little things, the big things take care of themselves because you, you know, that part's out of your control anyway. But, but if you're enjoying the little things, you don't even, you're not even phased when the big things don't go your way because you know that sooner or later, you know, compounding interest, things are going to, you know, even out theory of large numbers, you know, it's 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 going to move in in the direction that it should. Jason, this has been a great conversation. Um, before I have one final question that is again a little off track, but I'm going to ask it because there's this television program that really took the world by storm uh, over the last couple of seasons. They're doing one more season that I know of. It's about a coach who is a fish out of water. I think you know which show I'm going to mention here. Um, yeah. Is there any lessons that people, when they, when, I mean, when you watch Ted Lasso, 
the show I'm talking about. There's got to be some stuff in there about like that that people can relate to. Um, when I when I first was introduced to your work before having this conversation, I'm like there is some self coaching that I see go on in that program. Um, what do you think about that program? And do you think that that's it's the kind of show I, I've thought, and I don't think I'm alone that this is the kind of show we kind of needed right now in the world. What are some of the lessons I think someone can take away from from that show or from even the time that that show is airing right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think that show was so successful because our society needed it so much. And it, and it was so well written. And, you know, the character, uh, Ted Lasso, is, you know, he, he plays this, this coach that m- maybe doesn't understand soccer, but understands people. And, you know, to me, that's the big lesson is that, that, that coaching really doesn't matter what the sport is. You know, if, if you're meeting the person, you know, in, in our case, yourself, where you need to be met and you're treating yourself with, re, you know, respect and dignity and all those things that we see in the show, then you're, you know, you're going to surprise yourself and, 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 and achieve some things that you maybe didn't think you were capable of doing. And, you know, and just the sign that he has over his, you know, over the, you know, believe, you know, that it, it says it all, right? I mean, if, if you can shift somebody's belief from where they are to where they want to be and then, you know, make them understand, you know, that that's, that's possible, then, uh, then you'll be surprised at what they're able to achieve. Uh, and and also, I mean, no spoilers here, but I mean, Ted Lasso could use a coach every once in a while too, right? So that <laughs> right. just goes to show <laughs> that, you know, right? <laughs> right. Vulnerability is a big part of coaching, you know. So you know, I think I think when you're coaching yourself or or you're you're coaching other people, you know, I, I learned very early that I couldn't be a coach like other coaches. I, I had to just be myself and realize that, you know, I'm I'm the best version of me. And if, and if I'm just true to myself and, and give what I can give, then I'm able to build trust with the, the person that I'm, I'm working with. And, you know, then, you know, hopefully I can help them change their belief system and get them to where they want to be. The book's called Take Charge of You, How Self-Coaching Can Transform Your Life and Career. Jason, where can people pick up the book and where can people uh, get familiar with you and your work as well? Yeah, so the the website is takechargeofyou.com and uh, or you could go on on Amazon and and, and order the book as well. Um, my personal website is um, what is my personal website? <laughs> Boy, that is yeah, that is uh, you know, I'm not I'm not used to giving that out. Most of my most of my business comes from referral. Uh, but it's a Goldsmith performance. Uh, Jason at Goldsmith Performance would be a way of getting a hold of me. So there you go. Thanks for having a productive conversation with me, Jason. This has been great. Yeah, no, Mike, I really appreciate your time. That was a that was a great time there. Thanks for your questions. Big thanks to Jason for joining me on the show today to have a productive conversation. You can find out all the things that we talked about, links, etc., at productivityist.com slash podcast 425. If you want to support the show, one way to do that is while you're visiting 
the website, go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors, and you can support the sponsors, some of whom you heard on this very episode. Another way to support the show is to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that at the podcast page, or you can do it in the app you're using right now, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, what have you, even Overcast. That's the podcast app that I use. And that way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come, including Brad Stolberg. He is my guest next week. I really enjoyed that conversation. We've had that conversation in the bag for quite some time. I get to share it with you next week. So until then, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.